Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Alphabet Psalm. My name is Jonathan Chan, and I'm so glad that you can join us today as we continue to explore two segments each week of Psalm 119. Last week, we explored the letters Aleph and Beth. This week, we will explore Gimel and Daleth. So let's get right to it. Have you ever felt like you were the fish out of water? In other words, you're completely out of your familiar elements. I think most of us have, and if you're like me, I think I experience it the most when I go traveling into other countries where they don't speak English and their culture is completely different. It's very difficult to navigate. If I were to move there and try to live there, I'm sure for the first few years, those years would be very difficult. Or maybe not traveling. Maybe it's just encountering diversity here in Vancouver. In Vancouver, we're very blessed to have such cultural diversity. And just by living in a townhouse complex, I have about four different cultures living next to me. Actually, I even had a bit of a culture shock when I met my wife. You see, both of us are Chinese, but she was raised with deeper roots in the Chinese culture. Whereas for myself, I'm more Western and some could say that I am more of a banana than she is. So one of the simplest differences that was apparent was drinking plain hot water as a beverage of choice. Who does that? Here's a video that sort of showcases a scenario where one might find himself a fish out of the water. So enjoy this clip and we'll be right Remember, Simi, no one here can know I am royalty. You must appear to be no different than the average man. I will not say a word. British Airways flight Why are we talking about fish out of the water? Well, the psalmist is talking to God about how difficult it is to be a fish out of the water, so to speak. Or, for a more precise term, a sojourner. A person who is living here in this world, knowing that this world is only temporary, and that their true home is in God's kingdom. A sojourn living in a world that she does not belong for a while before she heads home to God's home. Where did I get this from in this psalm? Well, the psalmist gives us a hint found in verse 19. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Sojourner, which in Hebrew is ger, also means stranger and foreigner. The psalmist knows that his citizenship does not belong to the world. 
his citizenship, his rightful home is in God's kingdom. And that he sees this time is only temporary. A sojourner towards God's kingdom. Does the New Testament see us Christians as sojourners as well? Well, let's take a look. Now, since the New Testament was written in ancient Greek, we need to use the ancient Greek Old Testament to compare apples to apples, which is why we're going to use the Septuagint. It's the ancient Greek Old Testament. And here's Psalm 119 verse 19 again in the Septuagint. Now, I am not going to read this because it's been a while since I've read ancient Greek. Actually, technically it's been 10 years. So I am not going to make this attempt. However, I bolded the Greek word for you and I to explore. And that word is parakos. Parakos is the Greek word for foreigner or sojourner. And indeed, the New Testament authors also saw Christians, God's people, as sojourners. Because, as Peter says in his letter, he writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls. Let's take a look at the ancient Greek version of this verse. And again, I am not going to make an attempt to read it read this in ancient Greek because it's been a while. However, I again bolded the word parakos, as you can see here. Parakos, foreigners or sojourners. Christians are sojourners. And according to Peter, Peter warns us that it's tough to keep ourselves focused on that idea because it's very tempting to just go along with the crowd, right? To just immigrate into the world and be part of it. It's very easy and tempting to see the temporary as permanent because, hey, everything that we see and touch are tangible. There's physical evidence in front of us. God's kingdom? Well, how many of us can say that we actually seen and touched God's kingdom? Well, our first response would be probably no, because really we can't see or touch it, right? Well, the psalmist knew that too. And hence, in these two segments that we'll be exploring, he talks about how difficult it is to remain as a sojourner and not be folded into the world. But he also said that there is a way to experience God's kingdom during our sojourn right here, right now. And that's my point today. It is difficult to remain a sojourner, i.e. living in this world knowing that this is only temporary and not be tempted to fold in with the world. But God's word of life, i.e. Jesus, provides us with a tangible and visible experience of God's kingdom so that we can push ahead and remain faithful to God. How, you might ask? Well, there are four points that we are going to explore today. How do we experience God's kingdom tangibly? Well, the first one is that we experience it by His grace. When we repent of our sins, when we repent of, from our slip-ups, we experience God's grace and therefore we experience God's kingdom. Second point, how can we experience God's kingdom tangibly? When He opens our eyes to see the wondrous works of His word and commands. 
when we open our eyes. He enables us to open our eyes to see the wondrous works. And that is when we experience God's kingdom. Another one, how, must, uh, how might we experience God's kingdom tangibly? When we hear testimonies of fellow Christians who passionately obey his word. And lastly, we run. We have this passion and desire to run after God. When we do, we will experience God's kingdom tangibly. Okay, let's begin unpacking all this by reading the segment entitled Gimel, which is verses 17 to 24. Starting with 17. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. After reading this segment, we get a strong sense that this psalmist did something that was not according to God's commands, and he regrets it. The psalmist sinned and succumbed to the temptation of the world. Why do I say that? He begins with a plea for God to show him grace, to deal bountifully. He knows that he is a servant to God, but he also knows that he cannot do enough good to appease all the wrongs that he did, which is why he calls out to God, prays to God to deal grace bountifully beyond what he can do to earn them. I must point out that this is in the Old Testament, and already we are told God is gracious and does desire to forgive those who repent and make them new again. Then the psalmist recommits his life in God's word. Even the psalmist acknowledges that it is frickishly tough to live in this world as God's child, to be not of this world. We are continually tempted to blend in and live as the world tells us to live, but we know we really don't belong here. We belong with God. Being different, going against the grain is tough, and we stick out like a sore thumb and are ridiculed, scorned, and treated unjustly, or even lose our jobs for it. I did. And so I don't blame the psalmist for slipping up. Heck, I've slipped many times as well, caving into world's pressures for not fitting in or not FOMO'd. So the psalmist begins with repentance, acknowledging that he has slipped up and asks God for his grace and forgiveness and align himself with God's word of life again. How about us? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we too can confidently come into God's presence, repent and allow his grace to wash us anew to free us from the shame of our slip-ups. And because of Jesus, we can ask God to bountifully cover us with his grace. This is the first tangible experience of God's kingdom. For Jesus is God's kingdom. And when we experience forgiveness, we experience Jesus. Now, he moves on. And this is where it gets interesting. Why did the psalmist slip up? Why do we slip up? First, it is because at this juncture, when temptation knocks on our door's heart, I'm sorry, on our heart's door, 
When we encounter something that is appealing and looks good for us, i.e. the proverbial Genesis apple, we make a quick comparison, don't we? God tells me that his kingdom will be glorious and amazing, but can I really wait till God's kingdom comes? Is it really better than this candied covered bacon that I'm about to, that I'm looking at and watering for? Because his kingdom is a bit far away and untouchable. Right now, I can get the good stuff. It's in my hand. Immediate gratification. I can see it, touch it, smell it, and by golly, I will likely experience the goodness and yumminess of it right now. Can I wait? And folks, the reason why we all slip up is because usually our answer is no. I can't wait. I can't wait. Give it to me. I can't wait. I gotta marry that guy. I can't wait. I am going to jump right in. I can't wait. I am going to take that job. Or I can't wait. I am going to quit. I can't wait. I got to succumb to that temptation. I need to get that. I don't want to be full mode. The psalmist knew that too. The psalmist probably had the same conversation in his head and responded with, I can't wait. Second, why else do we slip up? Pressure, peer pressure, social pressure. The pressure to be on the same page as everyone else. The pressure to conform or to meet the world's standards because they hold, apparently, our life in their hands. Here's another clip. This kind of pressure is kind of juvenile, but it kind of resembles what we all go through anyway. So enjoy this clip and we'll be right back. You're full of beans and so's your old man. Oh yeah. Yeah! Says who? Says me! Oh yeah! exact exchange and nuance of phrase in this ritual is very important. Huh, are you kidding? Stick my tongue to that stupid pole that's dumb. That's cause you know it'll stick. You're full of it. Oh yeah? Yeah! Like double dog dare ya! Now it was serious. A double dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you? And finally the coup de grace of all dares, the sinister triple really dog dare. I triple dog dare ya! Hmm. Schwartz created a slight breach of etiquette by skipping the triple dare and going right for the throat. All right, all right. Come on, kid. Well, go on, smartass, and do it. I'm going, I'm going. Flick's spine stiffened, his lips curled in a defiant sneer. There's no going back now. This is next. Thug? 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 The psalmist may have been of royalty or of some high position, like a priest. Some traditions say that Psalm 119 was written by David, and if that's the case, the way he said how neighboring princes 
mock him for obeying God's commands and remaining faithful makes sense. How do we, like David, stay focused on our true home with all these worldly pressures? David prays to God to provide him with our next two tangible ways in which we experience God's kingdom through his word of life. One, David says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And second, he allows God's testimonies as his counsel. Open our eyes to see what? I believe it's not just what, but who. If we look at nature, when nature operates according to God's commands, we see beauty, wonder, and life. I personally also believe it's applicable for fellow Christians whom I know whose lives are obedient to God's commands. You know, when I see them, when I see their obedience, when I see their lives obedient and aligned with God's word, I see joy, fruitfulness in their labor, servanthood, and the Holy Spirit's work on display. As in, I see the fruits of the Spirit in them. And when I listen to their testimonies, to be honest, I take delight in listening to their testimonies of obedience, and hence, I do agree with what the psalmist is saying. So when I experience pressure, scorn, obedient, um, ridicule, contempt from those who attack me because I'm following God's commands, I pray that God will open my eyes and look at nature to remind me of how God's word and commands give life and beauty. And also be intentional in finding fellow Christians who pursue God's heart and desire to obey his commands. Because when I do, when I look at nature, I see glimpses of God's kingdom. When I see Christians and hear their testimonies of their obedience and how their lives are, have changed and been fruitful and see the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, I see a glimpse of God's kingdom. That's how we can have a tangible experience of God's kingdom right here, right now. Open our eyes and listen to testimonies. Let's move on to Daleth. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies. O oh Lord, let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Charles Spurgeon says this in his commentary about this passage. Quote, it seems to me that here we have a psalmist in trouble, lamenting the bondage to earthly things in which he finds his mind to be held. His soul cleaves to the dust, melts for heaviness, and cries to be released from its spiritual prison. My soul cleaves unto the dust. In part, he means he's full of sorry, for mourners in the east threw dust on their heads and sat in ashes, and the psalmist felt as if these symbols of woe were glued to him, and his very soul was made to cleave to them because of his powerlessness to rise above his grief. Does he not also mean that he felt ready to die? Did he not feel his life absorbed and held fast by the grave's mold, half choked by the dust of death? It isn't straining the language if we imagine that he also felt and lamented his earthly-mindedness and spiritual deadness. 
there was a tendency in his soul to cling to earth, which he greatly lamented. Whatever the cause of his complaint, it wasn't just a surface evil, but was a matter of his inmost spirit. His soul cleaved to the dust, and it was not a casual, accidental falling into the dust, but a continuous and powerful tendency or cleaving to the earth. What I love about the Psalms is how real they hit home. It's not like you read one chapter or one Psalm and boom, problem solved and you're all better and the problem will not reoccur ever again. No, that's not reality. In reality, problems do occur again and again. And for the Psalms, they capture that reality. The human reality is that as long as we sojourn in this world, temptations to conform to the patterns, expectations, immediate gratifications, and desires will constantly bombard us. There will be people who will continually oppose us for being too restrictive, judgmental, self-righteous, and ignorant fools because we follow God's commands. And there will be downward pressure of the constant doubt as to whether this whole sojourning is really worth it. We doubt whether God's kingdom really exists and that whether it's real or all hype. No wonder the psalmist wrote Daleth right after Gimel. It's tough. Sojourning is a journey and not just a one-time event. Obedience is a faith endeavor and not merely a cognitive one. It's not a one-time experience, this whole Christian endeavor. Here in this segment, we see almost a mirror image of the Gimel, but this time, it appears the psalmist is really struggling, for he is holding on to dust and describes this moment as his soul is melting away. He confesses to God even more so of what he did, literally, by listening at play by play when he said, I told you of my ways. It's just a side note, folks, that's a good lesson for all of us too. When we come to God and pray for his grace and forgiveness, we need to be brutally honest with him and lay out everything we did from start to finish. It's not like God does not know or God will not forgive if we don't lay it all out. I think when we lay it all out from start to finish, play by play, it actually will change our hearts as well and allow the Holy Spirit to break in to our hearts. What ways are the psalmists referring to that need repentance? What are the ways? In verse 29, he says, false ways, i.e. lying. Why are we tempted to lie? Well, I lie personally to get ahead. I find myself lying to make myself look better. I find myself lying to be more influential, to appear influential. I find myself lying to appear more powerful than I really am. I find myself lying to get that particular position to better my career. I found myself lying to hide my faults and weaknesses. To summarize, I find myself lying whenever I would like the world to accept me, approve me, and reward me of my worldly desires. Lying seems to come naturally for all of us once we know how to talk. It's our defense mechanism, our way of getting out of trouble, or our way of getting, a, of getting ahead. The psalmist is being real, folks. He knows that he has a bad habit of lying. He lies so much that he hates himself for it and asks himself, why does he, this keep on happening? The difficulties of sojourning. So what does he do? Does he give up? 
No, instead he prays to God and asks the same as he asked in the previous segment, but to the nth degree. Not only does he want to see the wondrous works, he wants to meditate on, your, on God's wondrous works. Not only does he want to hear testimonies, he wants to cling to the testimonies and grab hold of them in his heart. And lastly, our fourth way to experience God's kingdom is in verse 32, which I'll close. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Run, enlarge my heart. Run, enlarge my heart. Notice that this is not walking, like the first two segments in the Psalm 119. When we face pressure, temptation, and feel depressed and anxious, we run to God. We desire to and have our passions aligned towards God. We want to go to God's kingdom and desire to go to God's kingdom. We need to run and not walk. It's a choice. Running is a choice. And the psalmist says, I choose to run. And as I run, enlarge my heart to passionately and desperately seek God in his heart. When we do, we will tangibly experience his kingdom and be reminded of who we are, God's people. Let me close with this passage from Hebrews as this sums up our talk today quite well. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. <laughs> 